I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Down the block, Andrew John. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won. G'day guys, welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Something a little bit different for your Monday morning. We had four games of footy over the weekend for finals week one. After every single game, I jumped behind the mic for somewhere between 10 to 25 minutes or so and just gave my live reaction to every single game. I know some of you would have listened to them over the weekend. Some of you might not have. So what I've done is I've taken all four of my live reactions. I've put them all into one podcast here so you can tune in and have a listen to all of those. Uh, Just all my live reactions throughout the weekend. We will still have our rapid review coming today and then we'll have bloke in a bar content and whatnot. All the usual stuff for a Monday, minus the Supercoach stuff, obviously. But I thought I'd just put these all in one spot if you want to consume them and listen to the full hour on your way to work this morning or whatever it might be. It's all here. They are literally just going to play back to back to back. Uh, So you won't hear the intro music at the start of each one. You'll hear the exit music and then the next one will kick off. They go in the order of the games. Uh, So we've got the Broncos game first, then the Panthers game, then the Roosters game, and then the Newcastle Knights game. So I'll leave it with you guys. Enjoy this content, all my live reactions from the weekend. If you just want to listen to your individual team, whatever it might be, all this content is already available. You just go through and have a look and work out which game you want to watch. But here they all are all in a row. G'day guys, welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. We have just had the Brisbane Broncos knock over the Melbourne Storm in a pretty big victory. The Melbourne Storm were bang average. They held in the game until half time. They went into the sheds down 8-0, which I thought, all things considered, was a pretty good knock by the Melbourne Storm. They were playing far from their best footy. The Broncos looked unreal. Uh, they were absolutely smashing them through the middle, uh, and they only went in 8 nil. So I sort of thought, you know what, Melbourne, if, you know, it can't get much worse than that, surely. They're, they're, they're in this game. If they can just score first, they're a sniff here. And uh, just when I thought it couldn't get worse, uh, it certainly did for the Melbourne Storm. Uh, they were dreadful in the second half. There really is no other way to put it. And look, they weren't great in the first half, but they just showed enough to hang in the contest 
the second half, it was just fucking shambles. Absolute shambles. They were rattled. The Brisbane Broncos and Reese Walsh got in their head. Uh, very un-Melbourne-like performance. And um, obviously, we had the Ryan Pappenhausen injury late in the game. We do wish Pappy all the very best. We're still waiting for clearance as to what that injury looks like. We heard compound, frandru- compound fracture originally, uh, which really gave me... You know, scary flashbacks to a good mate of mine, Jarrell Yao Yi. Uh, obviously spent a bit of time with him on the country tours and whatnot and um, had a few beers with him late at night where he told me about the injury in the moment and it really is um, quite scary stuff. And I had a lot of flashbacks during that moment where Pappy was on the floor and whatnot. Uh, very scary. We're now hearing, hopefully, that it isn't a compound fracture. So we'll wait for confirmation on that. But we do wish Ryan Pappenhausen all the very best. And it really... Um, it really put a somber sort of note on the night, didn't it? And I think that um, shout-out to Brisbane Broncos fans who are now one win away from a grand final. And, you know, a lot of Broncos fans that I've spoken to since the game have pretty much said the same thing. Look, happy we're one, but, geez, it's a hollow feeling simply because we don't want that sort of stuff to happen to Ryan Pappenhausen. Uh, obviously, a guy that has gone the long way around with his rehabilitation. He's been very public with it. Uh, he's been very open book, and he's just... He's just one of the good guys in rugby league. And, you know, look, you, you, you never want to wish this sort of stuff on anyone. Uh, but, fuck, if you had to write a list of guys that don't deserve what he's got, he would be at the very, very top of it. So we do wish Pappy all the very best during this tough time. He has been nothing short of inspirational over the last 18 months or so. Uh, and, mate, all of rugby league is behind you once again. Melbourne. Broncos, whoever the fuck you go for, if you're in rugby league, uh, we are behind you, Pappy. So all the very best. Uh, but look, the storyline tonight, Melbourne Storm were awful. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. But you have to give full credit to the Brisbane Broncos, and in particular, their defense. We'll talk about their attack soon, but I thought it was their defense that was just fucking tremendous. To concede zero points against the Melbourne Storm, against Cam Munster, Harry Grant, Jerome Hughes, Ryan Pappenhausen, Nick Meany, I mean, it is just simply incredible what the Broncos did. Um, I think that I, I had a look back through the records, and you know, since 2019. Now, if you go, if you flash your mind back to 2019, which was sort of you know the beginning of the end for the Broncos back then, before it just all went to shit in 2020 and 2021, um, they got beat 58-0 in the first week of the finals against the Parramatta Eels. So that was their last finals game. I know for me, growing up, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't the Broncos were playing in the finals every year. It was the Broncos were playing in the prelims every year. The Broncos were playing in the grand final, what felt like every second year. So to go that long without a finals appearance and to get beat 58-0 on that stage, I don't know what's worse. Like, obviously, not scoring a point hurts, but conceding 58 uh, is just unheard of. For you know, 58-0 in a finals game is unheard of. But for the Brisbane Broncos... Uh, it really was just mind-boggling. And for them to turn it around in, you know, three or four years where... And you know what? That wasn't even um, the pits, realistically. It did get worse. They won a wooden spoon and whatnot, obviously. Uh, but for the Broncos to be where they are now, from their last finals game where they didn't score a point to coming into this finals game and not conceding a point uh, is just fucking tremendous. And, you know, you've got to put a big tick next to a lot of their recruits. They've got, obviously, Adam Reynolds. Uh, He's come in. He was tremendous. I thought the line dropout that he hit, that he managed to get the ball back. And, you know, I, I, I said on my post, one of the plays of the season, I stand by it. I had a few people tell me it was hyperbolic. Cameron Munster had just forced a dropout from 40 metres out where the Melbourne Storm looked fucking awful in that half. 
and Cameron Munster completely turned the momentum in that one play. And then Adam Reynolds in the wet, by the way. So think about kicking, you know, a drop kick 50 metres. That's a big knock. Kicking a drop kick to the sideline, that's almost about 60 metres. Doing it in the wet is unbelievable. And to land it perfectly, that you're putting it over Munster's head, who was just slightly out of position, and finding touch on the first bounce is incredible. I really think that if you if you don't appreciate how much of a big moment that was in that game, I, I don't mean to be rude, but you just don't get it. And it's as simple as that. That was such a big play in that game. And I know that the, the Broncos only went in up 8-0, but that was the moment where the Melbourne Storm was starting to turn the gears. That was the little monster magic that can get them back into this game. And then Adam Reynolds just comes up with an absolute magic kick. It, it's one of the nudges of the season by far and away for me, if not the kick of the year. I thought it was unbelievable in the wet, the angle he was on, what he was trying to achieve. It's the sort of thing you just don't practice either. He's just an absolute freak, Adam Reynolds. And this is, you know, we come back to it again. We said during the year we think he's one of the best kickers of a football we've ever seen. He came up with that play. Came up with a forced dropout at one point tonight where he kicked for Selwyn Cobbo. Uh, and it landed 10 metres out and still forced to drop out just because the kick was so damn good. He's a freak, Adam Reynolds, and I thought he was tremendous. We posted on Instagram as well. You think back to 12 months ago, Adam Reynolds is sitting there. The Broncos' season is over. They look like they were going to be locked into a top four spot in season 2022, and they just absolutely capitulate, Can just go to water in the second half of the season. They miss the finals. Meanwhile, his former club, the South Sydney Rabbitohs, are going all the way to a prelim, and you think about it now, 12 months later, here's the South Sydney Rabbitohs leading the comp after round 11 or whatever it was. They then fall out of the finals with the biggest capitulation of all time, not being hyperbolic, literally the biggest capitulation we have seen, I believe. Uh, and then Adam Reynolds is with the Broncos now preparing for a prelim final. It's pretty wild how things can turn around in rugby league. Uh, but look, uh, I, I sort of got distracted there. I thought defensively, the Broncos were just tremendous. I don't think the Melbourne Storm made a line break until the very back end of the game. Uh, and for me, there was two key moments that really stood out for me. One of them didn't even matter at the end of the day, but I just thought it told you everything you need to know about the Brisbane Broncos. There was a moment where the Melbourne Storm in the second half went down the left edge. Uh, I think it went Pappy to Xavier Coates. I think they called the pass forward or... There was an obstruction or something, but Xavier Coates was going down the sideline. Looked like he was going to score for all money. And, um, you know, the game was over. Brisbane were home. The whistle blew, and Katoni Stagg still managed to come up with a tackle over the sideline. Just a big play. It didn't matter. No one spoke about it, but a huge play by Katoni Staggs in that moment. I spoke about it all week. Defensively, he can get caught out. I thought he got lucky that Xavier Coates dropped the ball over the line early, and that could have sort of turned this game a little bit. Uh, but that play there was huge. And then the next one was on the other side of the park when Tarek Sims went through. I actually thought um, Sims was all right tonight. Um, Tarek Sims went through, and of course, Reese Walsh comes up with a huge one-on-one tackle and then makes the play after that as well. Another big, big defensive effort. So you could tell this Broncos team, they're high-flying, they've got points everywhere, but it's the grit in defense that they know they're going to need to be in order to beat the Penrith Panthers, which they know they're going to have to do at some point over the next few weeks. Whether it's in two weeks or in three weeks, in a prelim or in a grand final, they're going to have to beat them at some point, and you're going to have to defend like that to be able to beat that side. So their defense, pats on the back 100%. My big worry with this Broncos side going into this game was that outside of Adam Reynolds, no one in the spine had ever played finals footy. Billy Walters, he looked like an experienced campaigner tonight. I, I, saw, I saw people sort of say Billy Walters had a mixed bag. Fuck, I thought he did some tremendous things, and I thought he really worried 
uh, the Melbourne Storm pack in the first 50, 60 minutes, however long he was on the field. Uh, put in one kick that potentially wasn't the greatest, but it really didn't turn out too bad. It was close to being a 40-20. It kept Ryan Pappenhausen in a corner, and then he forced a line drop out a little bit later as well that, of course, led to Pappy kicking it out on the fourth of dropout, which put two points on the board. So I thought Billy Walters was really good. I thought he, he had uh, the Melbourne Storm pack on the back foot. He had them worried, and he just created another dimension that they had to worry about. And uh, I thought he was great, Billy Walters. I, I thought he was really, really good in this game. And I thought the guy that came on for him as well, Tyson Smoothie, I've quite often questioned why he's in this team. It hasn't really made too much sense to me. He was good tonight as well when he came on the field, so full credit to him. Uh, but Reese Walsh, he's the star of the show, and... Uh, it was interesting. It, it sort of played out exactly like how we said on Bloke in a Bar this week. We sort of said we want it to be like Origin. We want Reese Walsh just to run for the first half. We just want him to go hard, get himself into the game, go full Carmichael Hunt, just return the ball as hard as you possibly can, take them on. Don't worry about the fancy stuff. The opportunities will come, and he'll know when to pull the trigger. And just like he did in Origin, there was just a 10-minute period the Broncos got some good ball, and he got good ball in the red zone and made it count. Absolutely blitzed them on the first one. Young Tottenham came out with a pretty poor defensive effort. Uh, he left him for dead, and then the next play, putting Jordan Ricky through. I thought he was fantastic, Reese Walsh, and it's that sort of patience that I just love about him. And, you know, I, when he was at the Warriors last year, I spoke him up a lot, and people didn't like him, and people bagged him. And I sort of said, mate, this guy is a fucking winner. And the thing I loved about Reese Walsh was that he could make so many mistakes and not be afraid to make the next one. And I fucking love that attitude. But you can see in the last three months or so, ever since Origin, ever since he's gotten involved with Billy Slater, it's changed from, okay, I'm not willing to make six mistakes now. Now I'm learning how to pick my moments. I'm learning to wait for the right time to fire my shot. And he's getting it right just about every single time, Reese Walsh. There was a moment late in this game where he, he threw a very premeditated cutout pass that got um um, intercepted, but that's late in the game. I, I'm not really too concerned. It's what he did during the game and how he just worked his way into it. I love, I fucking love the way that this guy carries on too. I just, I, I appreciate it. I, maybe it's just more of a modern day thing. I, I, I don't know, but I... I think sometimes we look at guys like Reese Walsh and the way they carry on. And like, if you go back to Origin, yeah, he carried on like a fucking idiot against us in game two. But you know what? I sat there and went, you know what? He can do whatever the fuck he wants because he's backed it up. He's backed it up with actions and he's absolutely given it to us all night. He's outskilled us and he's out-toughed us. He did the same thing in this game as well. He could he could tell he was under Eli Katoa's skin. He went after him. He got in his face. He knows that Eli Katoa can't punch him, which, you know, whatever. Call the game soft. That, sweet. They're the rules that Reese Walsh is playing under. But you know what? They're also the rules that Eli Katoa is playing under and he knows that. So he has to control himself. He, he He's known that in his entire career. It is what it is. Get used to it. But Reese Walsh just egged him, egged him, egged him. Then the moment came, Reese Walsh kick early on fourth tackle, kicks it deep, and Eli Katoa just can't help himself but to try and wail on this kid. Gets a penalty 60 metres downfield. Just such a big play in the context of that game. But Reese Walsh earns that play because of how he acts before that and the tough stuff he does before that and how he pisses off these teams by how they constantly look at him and go, he's a pretty boy. He doesn't want to do the extras, but he's the complete opposite. He wants to do the tough stuff. He wants to do all the shitty stuff that you probably look at Reese Walsh and go, he's not going to do that stuff. He's all about the fancy plays, all about that bullshit. Absolute crap. This kid is tough as nails, and the attitude he's got is unbelievable. Call it arrogance, whatever. I just think he's confident 
as all hell. Uh, I think it was Mick Ennis was talking about an interview during the week that he had where they asked him about the Melbourne Storm and their record against Melbourne, and he just said, I'm not worried about Melbourne. I don't care what's happened in the past. This is us. We're the Brisbane Broncos of 2023. I don't give a shit what's happened in 22, 21, 2019. Don't give a fuck. We're the Broncos of 23, and we are a different beast. And I just love the attitude that this kid has, and he's he's just matured so much. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to make mistakes on the field. He's going to make mistakes off the field. He's probably still going to have games in big moments where he is going to fall because he's always trying to win the game of football. But I'll tell you right now, I will forever back this kid in because there is something truly special and truly unique about Reese Walsh. As I said, I came into this game worried, very, very worried that if if finals experience could cost them. Kempe made the point during the week, hey, Paddy Carrigan, Reese Walsh, they've gone to origin, they've done it, and that was completely true and completely warranted. I still like to see it in finals before I believe it. And, mate, they have put all of my worries to bed the Brisbane Broncos, every single one of them. Do I think they can beat the Panthers? I genuinely do. I do think they can beat them. Will they? I don't know. That's my big question. There's can and there's will. And when it gets to the Penrith Panthers in September, those two categories can be very, very different things. They can be very polarizing, those two things. But I do think the Broncos can really worry this Penrith side, especially with the way they play and just how high octane they are. It's scary. And that was in the wet tonight too. If they get a dry track, good God, they're going to be hard to handle. Uh, the usual suspects through the middle, Paddy Carrigan, Payne Haas, they were unbelievable. I uh, Obviously, they were big in the second half, but I thought that these guys absolutely belted and bashed the Melbourne Storm through the middle. I thought they were fantastic. I took their stats down at halftime because I remember sort of thinking, Jesus, if this if this Melbourne Storm team does fall apart in the second half, it'll come it'll come back to the work that the Broncos forwards made them get through early. Uh, in the first half, Paddy Carrigan ran for 123 run meters. He had 56 post contact, three tackle breaks, two offloads. Payne Haas, 103 meters, 46 post contact, four tackle breaks. These two were on fire. And their other little mate, Flegler, he was just whacking people left, right and centre. He was tremendous. The other one I thought was great in this game was Herbie Farmworth. My God, they're going to miss him next year. He's going to leave a massive hole. In the first half, so he's a centre in the first half, and he didn't have a line break. He ran for 113 metres, had 54 post contact, and five tackle breaks. So he had more tackle breaks than Carrigan and Haas, and he had more post-contact metres than Payne Haas in the first half and more run metres. He was everywhere, Herbie. He is going to be such a handful at the the Dolphins. going to be such a good signing. Uh, But, yeah, look, I just thought Brisbane... They were tremendous. They came out in the second half. Selwyn Cobbo made that error, and then he made an error a few minutes later, and you thought, oh, God, this could get a little bit shaky, but they defended their errors. And I think that's sort of been something that worried me throughout the year, if they had the defense to be able to defend their errors, and they certainly did tonight. So, look, a lot of worries I had about Brisbane, they were put to bed. There is no doubt about that whatsoever. I've got to swallow a little bit of humble pie because I thought uh, the Melbourne Storm, with their experience and everything, I thought they would really stand and deliver uh, against the Brisbane Broncos. But, I mean, if you if you watch that game with no context of who these players are and what their experiences are, you would think the Melbourne Storm was the team coming into finals the first time and they were deer in headlights, completely rattled. Uh, the Brisbane Broncos, they look like the team that have won premierships, that have played in finals games, that have played together for years on end. They are looking like a very special side, this Broncos side. They now get a two-week spell before they face, I don't know who they're going to face, God knows in this competition, but whoever goes to Suncorp in two weeks' time, they've got one hell of a job on their hand, and I'll tell you what, their front row forwards, they'd want to bring their shovels with them because they are going to need to go to work because Carrigan, Haas, 
Flegler, these guys coming off a, a spell, a two-week preparation, my God, they are going to be ripping and tearing. And Suncorp is going to be going absolutely off. I really do hope that we get a Brisbane-Penrith grand final. I do think this Brisbane side can compete with Penrith. I think it'll be great to see the Panthers. They've still got to win their game tomorrow against the Warriors, obviously. A lot more water to go under the bridge here, guys, but fucking hell. Brisbane v Penrith just seems like a mouth-watering clash that I really do hope we get at some point this year, whether it be a prelim final or a grand final, whatever. But fuck me, I want to see both these teams go head-to-head because it is going to be an absolute... Cracker. G'day guys, welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. The Panthers have just knocked over the New Zealand Warriors in a very big win. Thought I would just jump on and give my live reaction to the Penrith Panthers victory there and the New Zealand Warriors loss. Won't go into a stack of detail, guys. We will go into a little bit more going through all my notes on the Rapid Review and on Bloke in a Bar this week. But um, look, I I thought it was pretty clear from the last few weeks that the Penrith Panthers were just on a different level to everyone else. Uh, I've said a few times over the last few weeks, I, I've always felt like they're on a different level to the Warriors and the Storm. I thought the Broncos were close to them, but to be fair, the Broncos are a little bit closer to them than what I thought they were. But uh, I did always sort of feel like the Panthers were on another level to Melbourne Warriors and obviously the bottom four teams as well. Uh, and I thought this afternoon really reflected that. And look, I think it's easy to sort of bag the Warriors and give them shit, but I, I think we just need to appreciate that you know, where, where the Warriors have come from and where they're at. Like, this is a Penrith Panthers side. They've been to three grand finals in a row. They just won the minor premiership. Um, you know, they are, like, you, you don't build successful teams in one season, yeah? And, look, I'm not saying the Warriors are done. They're going to go home to New Zealand next week. Hopefully, they get some troops back in SJ, uh, and hopefully they can win that and then keep fighting on. But I just think that, you know, it's very exciting what the Warriors have done. It's been fantastic. But, you know, they are a team that's building this. They are still building into the future. The reality is, and I know Warriors fans are disappointed, but the reality is you don't win premierships in one season. Like Everyone acts like you do, you don't. It's a journey of years upon years upon years, and where the Warriors were, were last year to where they are now is an incredibly big gain, and there is another step to get onto the shelf of these top teams, like the Penrith Panthers, like the Brisbane Broncos, and it's fucking hard to do, but the Warriors are heading in the right direction. They just came up against this afternoon against a champion team, also without their halfback, and you know what? Yeah, the Panthers are out there 5-8 and without one of their strike centers, 100%. Uh, but I think it is fair to say that SJ means more to the Warriors uh, than what the other two boys probably mean to Penrith. Uh, as far as when you take them out, how much do you lose? Uh, in saying that, do I think with SJ the Warriors get close to the Panthers this afternoon? To be honest with you, no, I don't. Um, and I, I know there'll be a lot of Warriors fans out there trying to push that argument, though, without SJ, and it completely changes with him. For me, it... <sighs> I just, I, how many points are you telling me SJ's worth? Because, like, you, you really did get sort of played off the park in the first half. Um, it was it, it was pretty resounding. I mean, I, I think the final, you know, the, the stats towards the end of the game sort of indicate to you that uh, there's a little bit more to this than the Warriors were missing their halfback. Um, I just, you know, the Warriors, they missed 56 tackles in this game. It's um, a lot of tackles to miss. And you know what? The Panthers missed tw- 29, which is still a fair whack. But 56 is just on another level completely. Um, you have a look at... What's the stat I was just looking at? Line breaks is 9-1. to one. 
Nine to one, yeah. So, I mean, the Panthers, they were the better side. They ran for another, you know, 600 metres in the New Zealand Warriors. They had, you know, 150 more post-contact metres. So, for me, there is no doubt whatsoever the Panthers were the better side. Even if SJ was there, sure, maybe it would have been a little bit tighter. Uh, but I still think the Panthers win this game 13+. plus. I just thought they were too dialed in this afternoon. I thought it was really evident in the first, you know, 20-odd minutes what their game plan was. They knew what the Warriors' strengths were. It's those middle forwards. And I think losing Dylan Walker... Oh, sorry, not losing Dylan Walker, but losing Dylan Walker as a middle forward, him going to the halves, I think that really hurt the Warriors as well. It hurt. Um, normally, when you see AFB and these guys go off the field for their after their first stint, you see Dill Walker come on, and he has a huge impact through the middle, and they sort of lost that today. Uh, and I, to be honest with you, I thought that the Warriors held their own in the first half, the start of the first half. They went toe-to-toe with them, but you could see the Panthers, they had a game plan which was just attack the middle and just tire out those big boys. And I think I posted on my Instagram, at halftime, Wade Egan had made 30 tackles. Tohu Harris had made 30 tackles. AFB had made 22. Mitch Barnett had made 22. I think they'd made almost 100 tackles uh, between your middle forwards there. And that just shows what the Panthers' game plan was. It was go through the middle. And they did that for the first 20, 25 minutes. No one faded away from it. No one moved away from it. And then they started to attack down the edges once they'd won the middle. And it was a very precise game plan that they all kept to. I think that's the big thing that stands out for me when you watch the Panthers and when you watch the Broncos last night in comparison to the Warriors and the Storm. More so the Storm, to be fair. Um, everyone was on the same page. I actually thought the Warriors as, as a team did an okay job today. Just too many errors killed them. At least they had direction and they knew where they were going, the Warriors. The Melbourne Storm last night were just in fucking shambles. But this Panthers side, uh, they are just simply too good at the moment. And I think the only challenge that they need to face realistically is the Brisbane Broncos. And I, I don't mean any disrespect to the other six teams that are still in this competition at the moment, but I really do hope we get a Panthers-Broncos grand final because I want to see these two go head-to-head on the biggest stage and under the bright lights of finals footy. So the next two weeks, what's to come of this week and next week? Exciting footy, no doubt about it. But I'll tell you right now, I don't know if I can see anyone beating the Panthers and the Broncos. Um, Individual performances that stood out for me. Uh, Look, Brian Toto. We spoke about it earlier in the week that when he gets to finals footy, he just goes to a brand new level uh, with what he does. And you know what? He only ran for 173 metres, which by his standards is pretty disappointing. Uh, but like, he was just, he was everywhere in this game. You could see they tried to keep the ball away from him as much as they could. You know, he ran for 173 metres, but his post contact metres were still 62. Uh, just a, an absolute weapon, Brian Toe. Just gets through that work every single week. I thought Dill Edwards, he was fantastic as well. Nath Cleary, though, uh, he was the star of the show. It says on NRL stats here 32 runs of the football. I don't really know what that means with NRL stats. I'm pretty sure he didn't get tackled 30 times but maybe, uh, I think it's when he runs over 5 or 6 metres or he goes over the advantage line or something but it just tells you how how, how much impact he had on today's game. He was everywhere. Um, two line breaks, uh, two line breaks, two line break assists, one try assist, and scored a try himself, which was a cracking um, individual effort as well. And 72 touches of the football for Nath Cleary, 49 to Jack Cogger. So once again, he was the main guy on the park. Kicking game was tremendous. He was just everywhere. Nath Cleary, a proper, you know, 10 out of 10 performance, I think. Uh, obviously, scoring the try at the end was big. You know, the pass he threw to Liam Martin. Um, actually, a bit controversial, that one. And I, I, I need to double-check the rule. But obviously, when the ball was played on that play, he was actually in front of the play the ball. So I'm not sure if that try should have been allowed. And I, I know there will be Warriors fans out there that will grasp onto that and say it's bullshit, refs are against us. And sure, maybe that one was the wrong call. But I'm sorry, you got played off the park here. You, you weren't really 
in this contest. The Panthers, they just went through their gears, stuck to their game plan, and just broke you down through the middle. And um, they went in at halftime up 20-0. I probably thought Pen- Pen- Penrith should have gone in more. Warriors got a cracking try in the second half. Real Warriors footy. And I think that, I think that play... You had a Mitchy Barnett offload. They went down a short side. Then Dallin threw the ball back infield. It was great. You see, it was the it was the only time throughout the game. Well, not the only time, but it was one of the few times throughout the game. I thought, you know what? This is making the Panthers uncomfortable. You had these offloads, second phase footy. I, I think that if you're going to beat the Panthers, you've got to be willing to take a risk, and it might mean that you make errors and you get blown off the park. And I mean, so be it. They got beat thirty-two to six anyway, realistically. But I think you you know I think the Warriors they did try and just. Penrith up on Penrith for the first half and it's just I just don't think you're ever going to win that battle realistically I think you do need to pass the ball around move the ball around try and get them tied try and throw things at them that they don't usually see I think it is why the Manly Seagulls worried him the other day did the Seagulls take it too far I think they did Uh, is it the way to beat Penrith I I honestly don't know it's just the only way that I've seen it potentially make them look uncomfortable Um, you've obviously seen in origin you kick early you get them turned around Nate Cleary sort of struggled to fight his way out of that Maybe it's different in Clubland. I, I don't know. But I just feel like the Warriors did sort of play into the hand of the Penrith Panthers today. But once again, you know, when, when you go to, you know, the hardest place in rugby league to win under the pressure of finals footy and you're without your halfback and your most experienced player, it does make it very, very difficult to follow a game plan and stick to it as a whole. So did feel sorry for the Warriors. But, I mean, that's the reality of finals footy. Um, you know, you, you've got to go up against these top sides. You've got to beat these top sides. Warriors weren't able to do it today. Uh, and I, I'm, I think they will do it next week. I think they'll go home if they go to SJ. I do think they win again, which I think will mean they'll take on Brisbane up there at Suncorp. So, massive, massive few weeks for the New Zealand Warriors still to come. Hopefully, they do manage to pull a win uh, next week. But it is a good lesson for the for the Warriors just to learn the, the level that they need to get to, and they will continue to strive to. The Panthers they march on. Uh, they are an incredible football side. They will probably get Isaac Tungo back. I mean, now with two weeks to prepare, they might even get Jerome Luai back for that uh, that home game to go into their fourth grand final in a row. So pretty special scenes. Shout out to the people at Penrith. Uh, just from sitting on the TV, that crowd was absolutely pumping. The atmosphere looked electric out there. So shout out to all the people that got out there and enjoyed themselves. Great to see. Uh, as far as the forwards go, I thought they were all great. I really did. I thought Liam Martin was fantastic. Uh, he is just one tough little bastard. Isaiah Yo, he was tremendous as well. Really dictated terms uh, through the middle, as he always does. He, he was back to his best in this game. Uh, so, yeah, I thought Spencer Lenu and his stint was really strong as well. I think he played about 25, 30 minutes or so. Would have got close to 100 metres. Yeah, 70-odd run metres, 33 post-contact. He was solid. Um, yeah, just some some very big plays from the Penrith Panthers, some real desperation plays as well, which was good to see. And their defence, um, I don't know, it's, it just stands up once again. That's another finals game where they've only conceded one try. It is an incredible record, uh, and it is fantastic to see the Broncos doing the same because that sets us up for an absolute blinder of a grand final that looks like it'll probably be decided by the halfbacks, Nathan Cleary and Adam Reynolds. But still plenty of water to go under the bridge until then, but it definitely is looking like a Panthers v Broncos grand final at the moment. G'day guys, welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast, our live reaction podcast straight after the completion of the Sydney Roosters game. Over the Cronulla Sharks, they of course won that one, 13 points to 12. The Chooks 
1 to 12 in a very, very tight affair there. Uh, an unbelievable victory for the Sydney Roosters, to be completely honest with you. When you consider they're going into an elimination final in a final series that I don't think any of us thought they would even be in in the first place, uh, to go to Shark Park against the Sharkies, uh, and obviously without Jared Rea Hargraves, with Joey Manu under an injury cloud, Daniel Tupu not in this team either, to then come into that game, lose Daniel Tupu, have the James Tedesco Simbin, which was completely fair. I, I think it was the right call by the referee. Uh, I was a bit surprised when all the commentators sort of said, huge call, massive call. I mean, I thought it was the exact right call for the moment. Teddy was not square at marker, and he made a tackle when the Sharks were on the advantage. Um, and, you know, shout out to Nico Hines for making that play and putting Teddy in that position. Um, but I just thought that all those things considered, you know, the Roosters, the last time, you know, when you, th- you think about Sam Walker's season, he's played two games um, since coming back. The last time he played was, I think, round seven or round nine against the Cronulla Sharks, funnily enough, when Trent Robinson made the decision to move away from him. For him to come in in that game and come up with that sort of play is massive. Um, and you've got to consider as well, like the Roosters are missing a number of other players as well. Connor Watson, who's, you know, a key part of their side. He hasn't been there all year. They lost Satili to Benoa. Uh, there's been a lot of things. Oh, my God. They, they, they lost Joey Suwaliti at halftime as well, who was one of their best in the first half. So everything that could have gone against the Roosters essentially did in that game and leading up to it. Um, um, some things their fault, some things out of their control. JWH, obviously, completely his fault. Uh, but other things that have been out of their control just make life very, very difficult. They had every right to lose that game. Uh, and they just found a way to win. It's that sort of grit we've been talking about for the Roosters. I think that's six games in a row. It's also six games in a row they've won where Lindsay Collins has played 55 minutes or more, knocked up, I think, 62 minutes in this game. So uh, pretty special stuff there for Lindsay Collins. He also, obviously, when James Tedesco got simbinned, guess who was the guy there to make that tackle? Lindsay Collins came from the other side. I have no idea why he was there. Uh, unbelievable stuff. But, yeah, look, a huge win for the Sydney Roosters. They will go on, I believe, to play the Melbourne Storm in Melbourne next week. That'll be a huge test for them. Uh, but, yeah, shout-out to the Sydney Roosters. An incredible effort. A couple of guys I want to talk about, obviously. Sam Walker came up with some very, very big plays in this game. I thought James Tedesco, outside of the Simbin, which he deserved, I thought he came up with a number of very, very good things in this game. Some half breaks that he just created out of nowhere. Um, there was there was one where he got on the inside of Victor Radley. It was great to see those guys link up once again. Uh, yeah, I, I thought Teddy came up with some very, very good plays tonight. Joey Manu, before he got injured, he was everywhere, especially on that right edge. He was absolutely carving them to bits. Really gave Sifatalakai a bath on a number of occasions. He was fantastic. Luke Keary, very good as well. I thought Victor Riley, that was probably his best game I've seen him play for the Roosters in quite some time. I thought he was tremendous, playing huge minutes. It felt like he played 80 minutes. Did he play the whole 80, Victor Radley? Just going to get his stats up now to have a look, but it certainly felt like, to me, like Victor Radley was, if he didn't play the 80, fuck, he was everywhere when he was on the field. He was tremendous, Radley. He was absolutely everywhere. Just getting to their stats now. Victor Radley played, yeah, the full 80 minutes. Incredible stuff. Uh, as did Nat Butcher. Uh, came up with an error at one point, but outside of that was very good. You know who else I thought was fantastic? Brandon Smith uh, at hooker. We spoke about him in the pregame, that he has been going very, very well the last few weeks at hooker, and he was destructive in this game as well. Nine runs for 92 minutes. But it was more so just when he chose to run. He picked his moments really, really well. Four tackle bakes for Brandon Smith. 36 tackles, only three missed. Uh, A very good game by Brandon Smith there at nine. I thought he was very, very good. Um, The Roosters, they obviously had injuries throughout the game as well. I think Billy Smith got hurt at one point, which wasn't ideal. Fletcher Baker might have picked something up too off the top of the dome. 
Um, shout out as well, a couple of guys that came off the bench. Angus Crichton jumped on, played 50 minutes, sort of a roaming centre sort of role. He was fantastic, Angus. Really held his own. I think we forget sometimes that, you know, the Roosters have a guy like him coming off the bench. What a tremendous guy to be able to come off your bench when you consider the time of the season and whatnot. I thought Terrell May, he was fantastic as well. He came up with that key offload that led to... Um, the try in the right corner that Joey Manu ended up scoring because Suwalee went off. That was a very good offload. He's had a huge few weeks, Terrell May. 54 minutes in this game. Very impressive. 122 run meters, uh, five tackle breaks. He had the offload that was pretty much a fucking try assist, and he made 30 tackles and didn't miss any. So shout out to Terrell May. I was a little bit worried. Probably a few rounds into the regular season this year, if Terrell May was going to end up being the guy that we thought he was going to be. And to be honest with you, over the last few weeks, he's leaped above that. He has been tremendous. The other guy I want to talk about is Sandon Smith. I thought he came up with a couple of huge plays in this game towards the back end. Obviously put in the kick. They got a lucky rebound uh, that landed in the arms of Wong. We'll talk about him soon. But he just made a couple of key tackles. Uh, He came up with a big play at one point where he noticed the markers weren't square and he scooted from dummy half to get a big six again. Uh, And yeah, some of the tackles he made down the right edge, he, he was very, very good in this game. Sandon Smith did some very good things. He's been a really good find by the Sydney Roosters. I think that uh, I think he's going to develop into quite a good footballer. I don't know what position he'll be. I think he could be a 14 moving forward. And you know what? If I'm the Sydney Roosters, I love Connor Watson. He's a fantastic footballer. But I'm sort of looking at Sandon Smith going, geez, is that a few hundred grand that we can maybe save and spend elsewhere? Because I think Sandon Smith would do such a tremendous job as a forwarder. And he can play seven. He can play nine. Sort of jumped in and played a bit of one in little bits and pieces in this game. Um, and he can handle himself at center as well. So Sandon Smith, a very, very good find. Uh, but let's get to him. Wong. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, CY Wong, Josh Wong, I've been calling him for a long time. When I first met him, uh, he introduced himself as Josh to me. So I've always called him Josh Wong. Seems to be going with CY Wong now. Uh, regardless, Wong, I thought he was tremendous in this game. He obviously scored the try. That was a pretty big one. Uh, but there was just other key moments. There was a tackle he made at one point on Wade Graham. He was cutting through a hole, and he came up with a big tackle there. When the when the charge downs came at the end of the game, big ones from Teddy and Keary, he was the guy to get on those. And I'll tell you what, there was an offload in the first half uh, that just summed up everything I love about this kid. For him to be taking them on with traffic all around him in an elimination final as a starting back rower to have the ball in his right hand and sense that Joey Manu is not only in support, but in support on the other side of his body and flick it around his body and land it. Honestly, yeah, I think I think a lot of people would appreciate just how difficult that is and how much pressure there is on that. It's not like they're in a try-scoring situation. They're on halfway. So if he gets it wrong, it's it's ridiculous. And the coach probably tears him a new one and people bag him left, right, and center. And it probably hammers his confidence. But he's just got the ability to do stuff like that. I think Wong, as I've said it for a long time, as you guys know, you're probably sick of hearing about it, but I think he's got such a big future. You have a look at that game, 71 minutes. He obviously scored the try. He had 14 runs for 122 metres, 32 post contact. He had nine tackle breaks in this game. Nine tackle breaks for Wong. He was tremendous. Uh, Would have had a few offloads, I think, too. Yeah, three offloads in this game. 31 tackles. Missed four, to be fair. But 31 tackles, no errors. Uh, had two since the first one for 30 minutes, the next one for 39 minutes. I had a little break just before halftime. Um, he was unreal. I was so impressed with him. Um, and, you know, it's really good when you see these guys that you speak up all off-season and the off-season before that, uh, that they come in and people just expect these guys that I say could be anything that they're going to come in and they're going to blow it away. The reality is first grade's fucking hard. It doesn't matter how good you are. 
first grade is hard and it takes time. And I think, uh, as I told people, you know, he played in the World Cup last year for Fiji. And I said, look, he's a very, very good player, but it's going to take time. Defensively, he's got a lot to learn still. And he still does. But finally tonight, I feel like he turned a bit of a corner that I think Wong would have come from the field and realised, you know what, I can handle myself at this level. I can Not only can I handle myself, I can have an impact and I can I can affect the outcome of games, which he certainly did in this one. So shout out to Wong. Tremendous stuff. We love to see it. We'll go into more d- detail during the week. Uh, but a very good win by the Sydney Roosters. I thought they had no right to win that game realistically. Everything went against them. Uh, and I'm not sure how many other teams in this competition would have won that game uh, if all those things would have happened. If their fullback and skipper would have got Simbin, if they would have lost, you know, their best outside back Joey Manu, and they would have lost potentially their second best outside back Sua Lee, uh, all before the fifty-minute mark. It was just, it was just real gritty sort of stuff for the Sydney Roosters. And I thought Trent Robinson summed it up really well at the end. I'd advise you go and look at his press conference. I sort of said, "Mate, what are you going to do next week against Melbourne Storm?" And he said, "We'll send seventeen down there. We'll send seventeen guys down." in red, white, and blue jerseys that we're confident will do a job for us. So how how much further the Roosters go into finals, I don't know. I'm not overly confident they get through Melbourne in Melbourne coming off that loss. I think this will take a lot out of the Sydney Roosters as well. you got to remember as well with this Roosters side that, you know, for, for, for all the other teams, finals started this week. You know, they, they went into sudden death footy this week and it all started now. For the Sydney Roosters... They've been playing sudden death footy for five weeks now. They're in week six of their final series. So for them to get up for this game, tremendous. I'm just not sure how much more petrol they're going to have in the tank. I think that a challenge of a Melbourne Storm in Melbourne, it might just be a little bit too much. But the Storm were awful the other night. Whether that means they bounce back in a big way or whether that means they sort of crumble into a heap, I am not too sure. We'll see how that one plays out. But shout out to the Roosters, a tremendous win. Uh, a very, very impressive stuff. Uh, the Cronulla Sharks. Uh, what an odd game of football. My God. Um, they came out flying early. Katoa scored. Uh, they, you know, they... I don't know. It was a weird game of footy. Both teams created so many opportunities and just kept falling apart short, seemingly, every single time. Um, you know, with, without highlighting it too much because shit does happen, and I get that. But gee whiz, um, Sione Cartola scores the first try. Brilliant ball from Nico Hines. Very well played. Shout out to Britton Nicotra. Uh, a great hit up um, the play before to, op- to to draw in five or six players and create that space. And Hines obviously jumped down that short side. We spoke about it in the preview podcast. So he does his best work down the short sides. Set up a try there. He almost set, an- set up another one for Wade Graham, but Joey Marnie went for the intercept and knocked it down. He's so elusive when he stands behind the ruck and he takes on a side. Um, but I mean, they ended up losing by one point, and for me, a big talking point, it has to be that missed goal by Braden Trindle, and I don't want to pin it all on him, because that's not fair, it's an 80-minute game of football, but gee whiz, in the NRL, you get kicks from in front, I mean, I'm sorry, but in the NRL, if you're getting kicks anywhere inside tram lines, um, you pretty much have to make them count, and unfortunately, Braden Trindle missed that one, which is sort of compounding, because... I just I don't understand why Hines wasn't kicking. He ended up taking over the kicking. Went for two from two, and I know people will say, "Oh, it's easy to say that." Well, after he misses a goal, but he also missed one from in front two weeks ago against the Newcastle Knights. He hit the post. Um, I just uh, yeah, I I, I I don't really understand 
why Nico Hines wasn't kicking, and I, I think that it, it should have been him all along. Um, and I think that Nico did a number of good things tonight. Where he took a lot of responsibility for their attack. I think I, I posted on Instagram over the last few weeks, I think he's averaged like 65 touches of the football in the first half. He had 48. So he had his fingerprints all over everything, which is exactly what you want from Nico, 100% exactly what you want. I was a bit surprised that come you know their elimination final, he wasn't taking full control of the cooking. Maybe it came down to who was kicking better at training. I don't know. But I, I did think it was odd. After Braden Trindle missed a kick from directly in front a few weeks ago against the Newcastle Knights, I was sort of thinking then, why isn't Nico kicking? Um, but anyway, it's a small thing. But uh, unfortunately, that small thing in some ways kind of decided their season. There was so much more water to go under the bridge, and I get that. But, geez, it's a moment that really stuck with me. Um, yeah, Mulatala, he obviously dropped his first touch of the night. Had a pretty mixed bag. Did score later when the Roosters were down on troops. Uh, down on troops, I mean, when they had the Simbin and Joe Marnie was off the field and whatnot. Uh, but, yeah, look, the Sharkies... Oh, I have to call it as we see it. I mean, this is a team that was a top-four team last year. Uh, they played the Cowboys at Shark Park. Uh, they got beat there in a high-scoring affair, uh, beaten by a field goal at Shark Park in that game. They then played South Sydney the week after and got blown off the park. Uh, they then get another finals game here where they return to Shark Park and they get beaten by a Roosters side who had just about everything go against them. So, I mean, under Craig Fitzgibbon, they've done very well, the Sharkies. They've made the finals two years on the trot. The halfbacks picked up a Dalian medal. All these guys have improved individual as individuals and as footballers. Uh, but, geez, I don't know, finals. I think this is this might be a bit of a mental thing the Sharks are going to have to really wrestle with, which is strange because Craig Fitzgibbon as a player definitely never, ever came across like that. But, fuck, it just felt like the Sharkies had the yips throughout that game. As I said, like I, the Roosters were, were, were gritty and they were tough, but they didn't play unbelievable football tonight. They played desperate footy. And I just I just didn't see that out of the Cronulla Sharks. I, I, I just simply didn't. There was their, their kick chase all night was a little bit off. There was a lot of uncontested kicks. I just there was just a number of moments throughout this game that I just sort of went, fuck, do they realise it's finals footy? It's like the Sharkies were all just sitting around waiting for someone else to do it. Except for Nico Hines, to be fair. He went at the game. He attacked it all night. And I felt very sorry for him um, that he, he bowed out of this final series. Because I felt like there was a number of guys that just didn't go with him tonight. I thought he tried hard. I thought Connor Tracy really went at this game. Uh, but just on a number of occasions, other guys just didn't... I don't know, dumb knock-ons coming out of their own end. Just just stupid plays time and time again. Um, and you look, it was a close game. We got down to the back end. Nico Hines obviously had two field goals charged down. I will say, I think Nico Hines, that, that, that field goal process, it is probably the slowest field goal in the NRL. He probably does need to speed that up a little bit. I noticed Sammy Walker, he took his. It was just wham, bam, thank you, man. Um, Nico Hines, and I understand it probably looks slow because he got charged in, but it is something I've noticed before that he needs to have plenty of time to kick these field goals. Um, and yeah, in, in in the final series, you're just not going to have that realistically. So two charge downs there. I thought outside of that, Nico was really good, come up with a number of good plays, created a lot of things, especially down short sides. Uh, he was very, very creative. But yeah, the Sharkies, um, end of their season once again. And uh, once again, we're sitting here, with the Sharkies out of the NRL going, geez, ugh, what could have been? Some of the football we saw them play this year was tremendous. And some of the football we've seen them play is the most exciting we've seen them. And you look at them and go, fuck, this could actually be a side that could compete for a premiership this year, same as we did last year. But then we get to finals when it matters, and it just feels like they're a beat off. I don't know what it is. And it's not like, I mean, it was, it was sudden death footy. 
they had enough to play for anyway. But throw in that it was Wade Graham's last ever game, um, and to you know, with thirty minutes to go, to have all the momentum in the world. And for that to happen, I also thought there was a number of times where the Roosters got momentum and the Sharks fought it back. I thought there was one play that Jesse Ramian came up with, took an intercept off Luke Keary after Wong scored his try, and they were really starting to roll the Roosters. They were starting to move the ball, starting to get upfield, took that intercept. That turned the momentum completely again, and they just, I don't know, they just weren't able to make it work. Um, So, yeah, pretty tough pill to swallow there for you Sharkies fans, I would imagine. I think it's a bit of a case of... Because, you know, you have a look at their side, you go, okay, what's missing? Wingers are great. You've got two gun fullbacks. You've got three gun fullbacks when they're all fit. Um, you know, 5'8", Braden Trindle, I think he does a job. Nico Hines, well and truly does a job there. So, like, I look at the outside backs. I, I know people don't, like, a lot of people don't want Talakai in the centres. And sure, okay, but, like, like I think they've got Iro in the squad, who I think is an absolute gun. I think he's a weapon. But, like, I think if you bring him in now... Is there going to be much difference between bringing in Talakai? At least Talakai has experience, and you know you might not like him defensively. He might have a couple of errors, but I mean he's running for you know 160 odd meters per game at center. Like he, he is valuable in his own way as well. So I'm happy to make changes there if you want, but I, I, it's not like it's not like a shining huge problem that you can see from a mile away. Um, you know, front row forwards when Hamlin Wellays fit. You know, Toby Rudolph. All these guys are good. Blake Braley's great. Britt Nickera on one edge, he's fantastic. You wouldn't change him for the world. The other edge, you you know, obviously Wade Grainfield in this year. He won't be there next year, so you're probably looking at a Teague Wilton, uh, Jesse Colhoun. You know, maybe there's a problem there, but, I mean, pretty solid dudes to have. Cam McInnes or Dale Finucane at 13. Matt Moylan's not even making the squad. Iroh's not making the squad. Atkinson's not making the squad. I mean, it's a bloody good team. Jaden Beryl's not making the squad. And then you've just got to sort of ask yourself, well, what's wrong with this side? Why, why can't they be successful? Why aren't they competing on the big stages? And I, and I know that that might seem harsh because they lost by one point here, but I personally thought a lot of things went the Sharkies' way tonight. I think a lot of things went against the Roosters, and all the Sharkies had to do to win this game was show a bit of grit. And they had a couple of key moments where they made bad mistakes. Blake Braley, probably, I, I thought he went at that ball a little bit too hard trying to get it down. <clears throat> he ended up knocking the ball on over the line. Jesse Raymond had another half opportunity where he knocked the ball on. A lot of chances completely squandered by the Cronulla Sharks in this game. And <clears throat> I've got to be honest with you, it was a little bit disappointing to listen to the post-game press conference. And, you know, Craig Fitzgibbon straight away spoke about referee decisions. And Craig Fitzgibbon brought up how he thought Cam McKinnis scored. And I don't know, it sort of felt like there was a shift of responsibility from the Cronulla Sharks to the referees, which, which, which I thought was a bit average. And look, I've only watched the press conference one once. Maybe I need to go back and, and watch it again, and I'm happy to be wrong on that. That was just my initial vibe when I first listened to the press conference. It was sort of like, yeah, it sort of felt like the Sharkies were sort of shifting blame a little bit. I mean, it's three games now. You've had two at home in finals games um, against teams that you're below the ladder on. I mean, that you're above the ladder on. Yeah, I don't know. And I mean, like, you, you go into this game missing Will Kennedy, yeah, missing Hamlin Welle, sure. Uh, missing Dale Finucane. So you did have a few outs, but I mean, you had Nico Hines, you had Blake Braley, you had your outside backs, you had Connor Tracy who, I don't know, if Will Kennedy was fit, would you have swapped him? I, I don't know if you would have, to be completely honest with you. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the go is with the Sharkies. I don't know, but it kind of feels like they've got a bit of the yips at the moment. It kind of feels like they've got the yips of the big games. And look, obviously, Craig Fitzgibbon, he's in the very early parts of his coaching career. Uh, I've had Craig Fitzgibbon on the podcast, champion fella. He's a fucking out-and-out winner. I know he is. 
saw him play his entire career, and from speaking to him that day, I, I know I know the sort of bloke he is. I know the sort of competitor he is. Uh, but there are a lot of question marks around at the moment, and it will be interesting if they were to do this for another season. I, I think question marks, or at least questions, would 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 start to be asked of Craig Fitzgibbon, and if he can take them to that next level. Um, really, really interesting. Really interesting side the Sharkies. It'll be. I cannot wait to watch them over the next few seasons because they feel like a side to me that if this keeps happening this way, they could potentially just fall into a heap over the next few years. But I equally look at them and go, fuck, they've got a team that could win a comp in the next two years. They've got a team that could walk away from tonight and take last year and learn hard lessons and come back and blow it away over the next few years and be really, really competitive. Because as I just said, I just went through their squad. There's no problems with it. There's no issues with it. Maybe it's a personnel thing. Maybe Craig Fitzgibbon has to start to make some moves as coach and bring guys in and whatnot, which is hard to do. You can't really do it overnight. But we're now heading into year three of Craig Fitzgibbon, and he'll probably have to make some changes, whether it's a personnel thing, whether it's an attitude thing. I'm not quite sure what it is because they seem to compete pretty hard during the season, but they just get to this finals period, and it genuinely almost feels like the yips. And This is where they've got to be really careful that it doesn't become like a bit of a psychological block. Um, yeah, a, a lot of people throwing around the chokers tag at the moment, which, um, you know what, I, I, I can understand where, where you're coming from. And I, I remember talking to Jamie Soward a few weeks ago, that chokers tag that they got in 2009 and just how hungry they were to shake that. And they managed to, they went on to win the comp just the next season. So yeah, hopefully the Sharkies can bounce back from this. It is a very, very tough one to take. Just want to wish Wade Graham all the very best. It's been a fantastic career. He's obviously been a great player. But as a bloke as well, just in our game, he's been tremendous. Debut as a 17-year-old for the Penrith Panthers. I still remember the day watching it. Uh, looks so, so young, so skinny. Go back and look at those pictures. It's crazy to see what he's become. Made the move to the Cronulla Sharks. Obviously a big career move for Wade. And of course, you know, won the inaugural premiership for the Cronulla Sharks. Went on to be their club captain. Uh, one of the greatest Sharkies ever. He really is. And honestly, one of my favorite ball players ever. Um, one of my players ever. But, but my, one of my favorite players ever because he was a ball playing forward. And he was so good. He was essentially a second 5'8", playing down that left edge with a left foot kicking game. Very, very hard to replace that. And a very special player to have. And whenever he played for New South Wales as well, it was fantastic weight. I remember him playing in Perth. Uh, that game that we wore, like the 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 weird ass jersey. I remember he had an absolute blinder in the, in the rain over there that game, and had a number of very good games for the New South Wales Blues. A tremendous player, Wade Graham. Want to wish him all the very best in retirement. He's obviously going to be popping his head around media and whatnot, doing a bit of work on the radio. So I really do hope he's the he's a guy that I cross paths with one day, because uh, I got a lot of respect for Wade, and I think uh, I think he's got a lot to offer the game now off the field. But a tremendous career, a tremendous bloke, and very sad. Uh, to see how it ended tonight for Wade Graham. But he can hold his head high. A fantastic career. One of the greatest Sharks we've ever seen. And a Premiership winner, a Kangaroo, and a New South Wales Blues representative. How good. Congratulations to Wade. Unlucky how it finished. Shout out to the Roosters. A gritty, gritty win there. And they go on to next week to take on the Melbourne Storm down there. G'day, guys. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast, and I am absolutely exhausted from that game. Shout out to Newcastle Knights fans, and in particular, Canberra Raiders fans. Uh, that had me on the edge of my seat the entire game, and I had no skin in the game whatsoever. Uh, Canberra Raiders fans, devastating way for you to finish, but fuck. 
you got to be proud of your team. They were so courageous in that game. It was unbelievable. To come in that to that game without Corey Horsburgh, without Josh Papali'i, uh, without Seb Chris, you know, a heap of guys missing to lose Puto very early as well. Uh, just unbelievable. And look, I gave you next to no hope. Egg all over my face once again with the Canberra Raiders. They just, they've just got a mentality about them. When their back's against the wall, they go, fuck it, we're not leaving. They're just like a cockroach. They're unbelievable, the Canberra Raiders. So shout out to them. Um, entertaining game. Probably wasn't the highest quality footy, a lot of errors and whatnot, but, geez, both teams, they just hung in there. It was incredible. And the Canberra Raiders, they really gave the Newcastle Knights a shake at home. Uh, wild, wild stuff. And uh, the crowd that was out there, obviously the Newcastle fans, but also shout out to the Canberra Raiders fans. I know a lot of people would have made the long journey up to uh, Newcastle from the nation's capital that will drive back tonight be ready for work in the morning. So shout out to you guys. I'm sure some of you will be listening to this on the drive home. So respect to you guys. Uh, huge, huge knock there. And all the Newcastle Knights fans that got out to support your team, it was absolutely packed. Uh, And even, you know, at the end of the game, right at the end, you know, obviously it went extra time, one but not a single person left that stadium. It was uh, incredible. And the celebrations after were fucking wild. So, shout out to all the crowd that was at that game. It was incredible to watch from the lounge. I can't imagine what it would have been like. And I think that's one of those games that if you were there, you will remember it forever. Um, Yeah, look, both teams, I just want to give full credit to everyone. That was an absolutely exhausting game to watch, to play it. I can't even imagine injuries. Uh, Obviously, Puru, he he was taken out of the game. You had guys cramping up left, right and centre. Jackson Hastings was taken from the field, obviously, at halftime. Been carrying an injury for the last few weeks. Jacko hasn't been playing. He's been named, but I I don't think he was any hope to play in any of those games. Uh, And then comes into this week. And, like, I think it was pretty evident that Jackson is carrying something. I mean, even when he got injured before that, he hadn't kicked the ball once. Uh, KP and Gamble had done all the kicking. Uh, So I think that just shows you that, you know, potentially Jackson wasn't 100% fit coming into that game. But the coaching staff obviously made the decision, similar to what the Roosters did last night with Joey Manu, uh, that they they need to get their best team on the park and that he could add something despite that injury. And I think it was the direction that Jackson was adding there, obviously. Uh, But yeah, wild game of football, incredible stuff. Loved every minute of it. Honestly, I, I feel like normally when I'm watching games of football, I'm pretty good at live picking moments that are going to sort of turn games or decide games, and I always write them down in my notes, and I highlight them in a certain colour. I have got about 12 plays written down here that I thought when they happened that was going to completely turn the momentum. There were so many. It was un. Believable, And I really thought early when Puru went down, um, obviously this is my live reaction, guys. So I'll talk to it pretty quickly, talk more about it in the rapid review and on Bloke in a Bar. But um, I thought the Raiders really came out fast. They won the energy in the first three or four minutes. And then Puru went down. It sort of gave the Newcastle Knights three or four minutes uh, to regather themselves and get themselves set. So I thought the Raiders to then get themselves back into it after the Marcio try, which obviously went through the hands of Hastings Gamble, KP, best Marcio, a very, very nice try there. After that, I sort of thought, geez, that sucks for the Raiders because they came out hard and fast. Um, And then to manage to regroup themselves after that and then win the momentum back was incredible. Um, I thought that, you know, the Canberra Raiders had a number of sets on the Newcastle line going at them. And I did think it was bizarre that Jack Whiten just sat at left centre. I just, I don't know why you'd have your best striker. And I know he did a number of good things down that left edge, 100%. 
But I just thought it was bizarre that in a sudden death game of football, the Canberra Raiders have their best attacking weapon just sitting down a left edge on that corridor. Uh, they tried to turn him under at one point. Someone read an obstruction, tried to do it another time, and I think he knocked it on. But I, I just would have given Jack a bit of a license to roam. I thought it was a bit of a wasted opportunity there. Um, but as soon as he did get an opportunity, and funnily enough, it came in defense, uh, a big tackle from Jack Whiten on Dane Gagai, knocking the ball loose. And James Schiller, he, of course, scored in the corner. James Schiller, a guy I didn't actually expect to be in the team, to be honest with you. They had Albert Hopawate, um, and they had Jared Croker on the extended. I thought one of them had come in for Schiller, but scored the first try for Newcastle. It wasn't his last try of the day as well. Dane Gagai, a couple of big mistakes throughout this game. Obviously, in the first half, I think he had two knock-ons coming out of their own end, and then, of course, he knocked the ball on over the line. A huge player by Hudson Young there. A number of desperation plays in this game. That tackle by Hudson Young was huge. There was another one earlier in the game that uh, Phoenix Crossham made on, I believe it was Matty Timoko. Uh, it ended up being called, black, called back because it was a knock-on. Uh, sorry, because it was a forward pass. But for Phoenix to put himself there was unbelievable. Uh, I thought he had a huge game today, Phoenix Crossland. He was fucking everywhere. I got about three or four messages from people that were at the ground that just sort of said, mate... Phoenix Crossland, it's like there was three of him on the field. He got through so much work today, Phoenix. Um, I know he copped a little bit of crap in the media during the week and whatnot. I cannot fucking believe it. If you can't respect what this guy has turned into and the sort of hooker he is now, I, I can't help you. He has been very, very impressive. And it's going to be interesting next year. Jaden Braley, I'm sure he will be the starting nine. But good God, they are winning with Phoenix, and he's doing a lot of things right. So it'll definitely be a job share there. And um, Jaden Braley's got to cut out for him, obviously coming back from two injuries. Uh, Phoenix has got them to a top six finish. So very, very interesting. He got given an award the other night. I think the knight in shining armor it was. And I, I couldn't think of a guy more fitting. So shout out to Phoenix Cross, and we've praised him for the last 15 weeks. And I, I thought that was his best game of the season. It was his toughest game of the season by far and away. He was very good. Um, we then had... A lot of mixed moments here. The Raiders sort of started um, to win the middle again. Uh, Gamble, he put in a great kick to find touch at one point. Gagai with, with that other key error. Then Jack Whiten. There was a moment there the Canberra looked like they were going to score on the right edge. They, they ended up turning the ball over. Marshew, he he ran away with it. Sort of put a really good move on Nick Kotrick. He hit the deck. And Jack Whiten came from left center uh, to bring down the winger on the other side of the park. A huge play by Jack Whiten there. And then after that was, of course, uh, Hudson Young's big play on Dane Gagai to knock the ball loose. Pretty incredible stuff. Um, Frawley, he went up the other end. He forced a line dropout. A nice little play there. And then off the dropout, Mooney scored. Uh, Trey Mooney, obviously a guy we spoke about in the preseason. He's probably fallen behind a couple of forwards there, to be fair. I thought Atamariota in this game was freaking huge. Uh, he obviously got held up at one point during this game, which is really tough, but I thought Trey Mooney, he was very good as well. Um, a play that sort of turned out to be kind of crucial for the second time this weekend, Jamal Fogarty missed not an easy conversion, but a conversion that you'd expect to hit nine times out of ten, I think. For, from memory, I could be wrong, and I'm happy to go back and watch it. Maybe it was further wide than what I thought it was, but I remember at the time thinking, geez, that is a bad strike. Um, and then Schiller, he, of course, scored just before halftime. Some brilliant play by Jack Whiten down that edge. So the new the, the Canberra Raiders, they went in up at halftime. Very, very impressive. Just before halftime, obviously, Jackson Hastings, uh, he fell over, hurt himself. Uh, and obviously, that injury was playing up once again. And as it turns out, he didn't come off, come on in the second half. So a big, big loss there for the Newcastle Knights, losing their halfback. Um some key stats from halftime I thought were really interesting. Um, possession, 38%. 
to the Newcastle Knights. So sort of explains why they were down at halftime. The Raiders had 62% of possession. That was always going to turn and even up. It always does in rugby league. For me, though, it was the completion rates that explained what was going on. 64% for the Newcastle Knights in the first half, 84% for the Canberra Raiders. So when you're going to you know, have a 20% different in completion rates, most of the time that is going to produce points on the scoreboard, and it certainly did. We spoke about in the in the coach's clipboard that offloads were going to be key at half time when the Raiders were up and on top. Five offloads to the Canberra Raiders, one to the Newcastle Knights, eight errors to the Newcastle Knights, four to the Canberra Raiders. Uh, and if you wanted something that was really telling to the Newcastle Knights, just not getting into their footy at half time, the Newcastle Spine, Kalen Ponga, Phoenix, Crossland, Tyson Gamble, and Jackson Hastings combined, they ran for a grand total of 60 metres. So very unlike Newcastle uh, that we've grown to know over the last couple of weeks. Uh, only one Knights forward ran for over 35 metres. I think that was Saifidi. So pretty grim numbers there for the Newcastle Knights. Jordan Rappiner, on the other hand, he ran for 150 metres in the first half. He was everywhere, Rappiner. He is. He has had such a good finish to the season. It's been incredible. So hard to handle, so unorthodox. He was fantastic. Uh, second half. We came out, and my God, we had no idea what we are in for here. Hastings obviously ruled out, so a very, very big blow for the Newcastle Knights. Thankfully, they had Kurt Mann ready on the bench, uh, who I thought was really good when he came into this game as well. Shout out to him. Um, I think it was Jamal Fogarty's first kick of the game. Uh, kicked it from about 35 metres out, a bomb that landed in the end goals. Really, really poor play. They managed to... Um, to, to sort of get away with it, uh, the Canberra Raiders with an error, I believe. But then they went up the other end. And uh, the big moment of the game here, Jack Whiten alleged to have bitten Tyson Gamble. Uh, I thought it was pretty evident by Tyson Gamble's arm that there was a bite mark there. Jack, I don't know, the words that he used kind of admitted to it. He sort of said, well, what else do you want me to do? So very interesting to see what the punishment will be for Jack Whiten. Um, I did think it was bizarre that he gets put on report he literally says to the referee, what else did you want me to do? Essentially admitting that he had done it. Um, no penalty. I mean, pe- pe- people were pissed off that he didn't get sent from the field, and I can understand that, but not even a penalty. I mean, there was literally bite marks uh, on the arm of Tyson Gamble. Maybe I don't understand the process. We, we obviously don't, d- d- don't see this very often, but I was very intrigued that essentially nothing came of that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what sort of a suspension Jack Whiten gets. Obviously, we've had pretty lengthy ones before. I haven't done the research and got the numbers in front of me. I'm sure we'll have them on Bloke in a Bar tomorrow. But obviously, Jack Whiten has played his last game for the Canberra Raiders. He will be heading now uh, to the South Sydney Rabbitohs, who, you know, they might be out be without Jack Whiten for the first, I don't know, it could be 12 weeks for all we fucking know. I've, I've got no idea. The other interesting thing is, and I don't know if he's allowed to do it or not, but Geez, if I'm Jack White and I'm the South Sydney Rabbitohs, I'm seriously considering it. I'd be telling Jack, hey, you're coming out of rep retirement. Make yourself available for Australia, and hopefully we can count those five games or whatever it might be and take that off your punishment. Now, it'll be interesting to see if he is allowed to do that. Maybe because it's international games, he's not allowed to. But I'm pretty sure that is the rule during State of Origin. So uh, just thinking off the dome there completely. But yeah, bizarre little moment there. Uh, Wild, wild scenes. Uh, Kalen Ponga bounced back with the next try. Uh, Obviously, Fitzgibbon, a nice little offload to Kurt Man who found KP on the inside, goes under the sticks. Huge, huge.
huge moment there. Dom Young then scored the next try. Uh, a very mixed bag for Jack White in this game. He got absolutely skinned by KP on this play. Went down the short side. Uh, found Dom Young probably through the pass a little bit early. Dom Young had plenty of work to do, but he is a fantastic finisher. He's going to be a great get for the Sydney Roosters next year. And then straight after that, Dane Gagai scored as well. Obviously, gamble to KP, to Dom Young, and then finding Gagai back on the inside. We tipped him on our preview podcast at $3.05 that he was the value play in this one. So hopefully you guys got on that. I think we also tipped Lockie Fitzgibbon, who didn't score a try, unfortunately. Um... Big moment here for me, Ponga. We, you know, it didn't really lead to anything, but it was just a big leadership moment. Ponga kicks off the left foot, leads the kick chase, and just absolutely cannons himself at Jordan Rapana. Had to sort of do it in a bit of an unorthodox way because one of his shoulders is fucked, which I kind of hate because it puts his head in the wrong position. We know KP's history, uh, but very good leadership there. Greg Marcio had a few errors in this game. He had a knock-on just after that, uh, but Don Young, he still managed to score next. And I want to give Tyson Gamble a shout-out here. Fuck, he did some good things in this game. He's pretty much had a hand in all the tries we spoke about, or at least one or two of the tries that we already spoke about. This one was his best. The Canberra Raiders kick to the left side, uh, and Tyson Gamble manages to clean it up. He's running away. Hudson Young gets in front of him, and he just he plays it perfectly here. He just pulls up, comes to a complete halt, essentially, lets uh, Hudson Young get in front of him. So he, he turns it into a chase and sort of a blind spot pass into just a draw and pass, and he finds Dom Young next to him. Uh, Jordan Rappiner, another big effort to get anywhere near Dom Young on this play, um, and ends up scoring it. Got a little bit closer than what I would have thought to defenders. But yeah, the Newcastle Knights went out to 28 points to 16 at that point, and you sort of thought, okay, that's it, done. Newcastle, they could score 40 or 50 here. They're going to absolutely run away with this game. And then the Canberra Raiders, we said they're like cockroaches before. They just hung in the contest once again. Uh, Frawley score. Nice little dummy and go. 28 points to 22. Um, I thought Bradman best in this last 20 minutes. God, he came up with some big defensive plays. There was a tackle on, I believe it was Emre Gula, where he shot up and made a really big play on him. And then Matty Timoko, on a few occasions, got the ball down that right edge, and he looked like he was going to give Bradman best headaches, and best just stood up and... Just manned up on him very, very well. He was impressive. Um, what did we have? Oh, yeah, we then had the... the I was about to say Craig Fitzgibbon. Lockie Fitzgibbon. Uh, he had a knock-on uh, that the Newcastle Knights challenged. Um, that w- It was a knock-on anyway. I think they were just trying to buy themselves a few minutes uh, to get a little breather, but it did cost them their challenge. Uh, and then late in the game, wow, Starling, what a try. Joey Tapanay, we spoke all week. Oh, not all week, but we spoke about in the coach's clipboard about the offload of Joe Tapanay. They love to play their second phase footy, and this is a classic to Whitehead. Draw and pass to Starling. Starling, I believe, a Central Coast boy, so sort of came through that Newcastle system, kicked the ball into the crowd, kicked the uh, kissed the Canberra Raiders emblem, was very, very happy with himself. Um, so that made it 28 all, and we had a game on our hands. The Canberra Raiders, they did have one more attempt late in the game. Joey Tapanay got a slight head tackle, head high tackle um, from Adam Ellett. He stayed down to get the penalty, which I think is fair play, but I also think it's fair play that he had to leave the field. So the Canberra Raiders went into extra time without Joe Tapanay, had to go off for a HAA, which I think is fair play, of course. Uh, they didn't manage uh, to kick the field goal there. I think it was Tyson Brazil that charged that one down. A very big play. We then went to extra time. Not golden point. Extra time. How bloody good. I much prefer this, to be completely honest with you. Um, Canberra received... 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, camera received. Um, Elliot, he threw a pretty shit pass to KP at one point. I want to give Adam Elliott a little shout out. I, I've been watching him very closely. He's in my draft team. It's been about six or seven weeks since Adam Elliott's thrown a shit pass. He played big minutes in this game and unfortunately came up with a loose play in that moment. Thankfully, it didn't turn out to be costly because uh, that would have been very, very rough on Adam Elliott, who played 77 minutes in this game. He was everywhere. Adam Elliott got through a stack of work, 48 tackles in this game. Missed a few, to be fair, but 48 tackles. He was electric. By the way, shout out to Phoenix Crossland. I said before that he was everywhere. He made 59 tackles, Phoenix Crossland. He was exceptional. Um, very, very impressive game from Phoenix. Fucking tough as nails. Um, yeah, so here we are in overtime, extra time. Uh, players were camping, cramping left, right, and center. Uh, KP, he dropped a ball off a bomb. Uh, went up high for it, came down, sort of the impact of hitting the ground, knocked the ball loose. And then, of course, the Canberra Raiders, they had a scrum uh, where they set up for a field goal. And I think it was a Tyson Gamble charge down on that play, a very big play. We then went to extra time two. Um, and unfortunately, Jamal Fogarty had a really good game up until this point. He had one poor kick earlier, uh, put this one out on the full, on around the 40-meter line. You've simply got to be better than that uh, when you get into extra time. It's just field position is everything. Uh, Gagai had a huge run in that set as well to get them into a very good spot. And then the big moment came, Caelan Ponga, uh, the Canberra Raiders offside, high tackle. Can't remember exactly what the penalty was for, but KP had a shot to win the game there. And that's where my notes finished because I spent the last 90 seconds or whatever standing up, yelling and screaming in the lounge room, which I'm sure the vast majority of you guys did. But an incredible performance from the Newcastle Knights. Losing Jackson Hastings makes it really, really tough during that game. I assume he probably won't play next weekend. I think Adam Clune comes back in. I still think the Knights can win next week, to be honest with you. My money's going to be on the Warriors, but I'm not ruling out the Newcastle Knights. Uh, it's just going to depend how much that's going to take out of them. I mean, a 91-minute game, I think that was. My God, fucking brutal. That's going to take so much out of the Newcastle Knights tank, but is what they've built their season on, being resilient. That's 10 wins in a row. Unfortunately, the Raiders' season comes to an end. A uh, weird season, obviously. You know, having the worst for and against of any top eight side ever. Uh, they then get in that game, given next to no hope, find a way to keep themselves in it. Um, it really was incredible stuff. Unbelievable. So, yeah, unfortunate for the Canberra Raiders and Ricky Stewart, and especially Jack White and Jared Croker, who uh, either their careers come to an end or their time in the nation's capital comes to an end. So, pretty disappointing way, especially for Jack White to finish. Uh, unfortunately, we're probably all going to remember the end of his Canberra Raiders career. Not for, you know, some of the big plays he came up with in this game, but for the biting incident. So we'll see how that plays out. But uh, yeah, shout out to you Canberra Raiders fans that made the journey up there. Incredible stuff. And the Newcastle Knights, they live on to see another day. As I said the other day when we were talking about is the season too long and all that sort of stuff, um, the thing that makes rugby league the best is the urgency. When you add urgency to games, it just takes to another level. And we've seen that in the last two games this weekend. The Roosters game and, of course, this game. Incredible finishes. Might not have been the most high-quality footy of all time, but the urgency we saw, good God, it made it so entertaining. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.